Welcome to our C3 Grow podcast. Wherever you are today, we hope that this message encourages you. We'd love to see you in person at one of our three locations, Howick, Ormiston, and Suva. Visit c3grow.org for details. Okay, today we are continuing our sermon series, Wisdom from Above. In this series, we are walking through the book of James and we are considering what it has to teach us about what it is for us as believers to live wisely, that is, to live right with both God and with people. We're picking it up today in James chapter 4. Uh, the text that has been assigned to us is verses 1 through to 6. Uh, but we're going to begin just by looking at verse 1 and the first half of verse 2. Uh, that's the, the main text and focus for this morning. It's probably as far as we will get in the time that we have. So uh, let's look together now. James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. James writes, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Now, um, whether we like it or not, quarrels are a part of life. Children quarrel from infancy. Even before they can speak, they can quarrel. Uh, Infants become toddlers, and they fight. Boy, do they fight over toys, over who gets to eat off the purple plate, Toddlers become children. They then go to school and they have rows in the playground. Children become teenagers. They go to high school and there is so much drama there. Uh, Teenagers become young adults and they graduate. They head to university or they head into the marketplace and they will say things like, I'm just so glad to be away from all of that high school drama. But there is still drama wherever they are and they are very much in the middle of it all, aren't they? Uh, People get married and they fight over whatever. Uh, Dealing with our tendency to quarrel is an inescapable part of our social life. And why this is, is really no mystery at all. Uh, All people, from the worst of us to the very best of us, are born with a sin nature. It's a consequence of the fall of man. That means that sin comes naturally to us. Uh, We all sin. And sin is fundamentally an exercise in self-exaltation. It is an exercise of selfishness, of self-centeredness, and of prideful rebellion. It is not, and it is never, about the glory of God. It is not, and it is never, about a love for our neighbors. Sin alienates us from both God and neighbor. Sin is never in the best interest of any of our relationships. Sin is never a force for social good in any context. It is always disruptive. It is always divisive. And what James points out here is that it is our sinfulness that is the root cause of all of our quarrels. 
He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Eugene Peterson, uh, in his paraphrase, uh, the message, uh, he paraphrases this verse brilliantly. He says, where do you think all of these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think that they just happen? Think again. Uh, They come about because you want it your own way and you fight for it deep inside yourselves. So quarrels come from sin within. We want it our own way and so we fight to get our own way. We fight inside ourselves and then out of the overflow of this corrupt inner disquiet and turmoil we fight each other. Now, uh, we Christians, we are now people whom Jesus has freely justified. We are now those who have been liberated from the bondage of sin by the power of the gospel. We are now people who are presently being sanctified, meaning that as we grow in faith, we are hopefully becoming more and more like Jesus, and we are hopefully living more and more victoriously over sin. And we Christians, we also now live with a confident hope of the fulfillment of the promise of God that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion on that day of Christ Jesus. We now look forward to the day when Christ will return, and as John says, seeing him, we shall be like him. The Bible points to this coming day, a day which will inaugurate the future of the life of the church, and from then on, we will live peaceably in the presence of God for eternity without the presence of sin uh, of any kind. And of course, Uh, Because there will be no sin of any kind, uh, there will be no quarrels of any kind. This will be uh, when the kingdom of God comes in full. But meanwhile, here in 2023, East Auckland, uh, the kingdom of God has not yet come in full. And so just uh, as there are quarrels in the life of the home or the playground or the workplace or wherever, uh, so too uh, the, the church has to deal with the threat and the challenges of quarrels. This, uh, even though quarrels in the church are expressly forbidden by God, uh, this, even though quarrelsomeness is decisively out of character for people with renewed minds and with lives transformed decisively and in an ongoing way by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, This, even though quarrels are precisely the opposite of what Jesus prayed for and wills for the church, for some reason uh, they still do happen. And Satan, by the way, loves it when they do. Because everything that he does is to dishonor God, and the chief way that he does this is by marring uh, God's bride, the church. And when we quarrel in the church, we, uh, we do his dirty work uh, for him. 
Satan is not actively instigating every quarrel. Uh, most often they come, as James says, from uh, within us. We instigate quarrels with our unbridled tongues and our corrupted desires, and Satan just sits back and looks on and smiles, and he just throws the occasional log on the fire of our feuding. And the world, meanwhile, uh, looks on and says, well, if that's the church, uh, no thank you, uh, because I've got enough context for quarrels in my life. I don't need a place to, uh, to find more. By the way, uh, the early church was no different. We often think very romantically about the early church, but there was plenty of petty quarreling in the early church. That's why a lot of the letters that we read in the New Testament uh, were written directly to the early churches, and they identify quarreling either as a real problem that needed to be dealt with or as a little fox that needed to be caught and shot uh, before it became a big, real problem. So, uh, with all of that being said, let's be very clear and uh, let's be of the same mind here. Quarreling is not a feature of God's plan for this church. It is not to be our climate and it is not to be our culture uh, here at C3. Our culture is not quarrelling. Our culture is unity. And if we are fighting, we are fighting together, alongside one another, against sin and against the devil's schemes to preserve unity, to build the church up in love and to bring glory to God in the eyes of all. The positive alternative to quarrelling is unity. Instead of quarrelling, we could instead be united in Christ. Instead, we could devote ourselves to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ and love one another. We could instead give each other the benefit of the doubt and live with sweet reasonableness. Uh, we could, instead of quarreling, commit to pursuing the unity and the peace of the Holy Spirit. As Paul writes to the Ephesians, uh, we could seek to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That is the alternative to quarreling, unity. Or uh, we could quarrel. We could create and perpetuate relational rifts over things that don't even really matter in the end. We could do that. But uh, as Paul says in Galatians 5.15, uh, if we bite and devour one another, watch out that we are not consumed by one another. In other words, if we quarrel, it may just be fatal uh, to our life together. Now, this is God's will for us as believers, that we would be known for genuine love and unity under Christ as an example to the world and not for quarrels. The psalmist says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. 
when we dwell together in the household of the Lord, when the church forsakes quarrels and pursues unity instead, it is truly a beautiful thing to behold, pleasing to God, good and pleasant for us all, and beautiful in the sight of the world. That makes God look beautiful. And why can't we be that church that Jesus prayed and died for us to be? A church of unity, love, favour, and goodwill. What's stopping us? Is there any reason why we can't be that church that reflects the unity of the Godhead and commends God to unbelievers with our love for one another? I can't see a good reason why we can't be that church. In fact, uh, I already see us that way. I already see us as a united people. And so then, let's be who we are. And uh, let's seek to be that way more and more by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, by the way, uh, Christian unity doesn't mean that we will never have or that we are forbidden to have differences of opinion. Ignoring differences makes for a very shallow unity. Christian unity doesn't mean that we will never be upset or disappointed or hurt or offended by one another. That is going to happen along the road of life. It's inevitable. Uh, if you haven't been offended or upset in this church yet, just be patient. <laughs> Your time will come. A commitment to unity doesn't mean that we won't have differences or difficulties with one another along the way. A commitment to unity means that we will work through our differences and our difficulties with one another in a Christ-like, Christ-honoring way, pointing to the lavish grace of Christ, forgiving one another, patiently bearing with one another, and loving one another. All right, so um, there's a lot more that I could say about this, but in the next 10 minutes or so, uh, I just want to say a few candid and practical things about how I would like to try to go about dealing with any grievances that I have. And obviously, uh, I'm still learning this myself. Uh, I haven't mastered this and uh, like so much of Christian living, uh, it's much easier to uh, stand up and talk about how to deal with grievances biblically than it is to actually uh, deal with grievances biblically. But hopefully uh, some of these ideas can help us to shoot that little fox of quarrelling and further establish uh, unity together. Now, it's important for me to make clear and uh, it's important for you to hear uh, that I'm talking now about the relatively minor day-to-day -day grievances and scrapes uh, which uh, the vast majority of offences which we contend with actually are. 
Uh, I'm not talking about uh, serious offences, uh, for which many of these principles may well be uh, insufficient. I'm talking about the 99% uh, category of day-to-day uh, -day grievances and scrapes, which we need to uh, work through in a mature way uh, in order to keep walking together in unity. When I, when I find myself angry or upset with somebody, uh, the first thing that I ought to do is stop and ask myself, am I seeing this correctly? Or do I have a plank in my eye? Is their behaviour really the problem? Or am I the problem? Is my attitude or my perspective the problem? A lot of the time, I'm at least a part of the problem. And so I always need to pray. Sometimes I need to repent to work through things with God to get to the point where I'm not being spiteful, sinful, and unloving in my approach because that'll do nobody any good. Now, uh, a lot of the time, that's actually where my grievances end because I realize that I'm the one uh, with the issue, or I'm blowing things out of proportion, or I was actually just hungry, or whatever, right? But suppose I go through this process of reflection and prayerful self-evaluation, and I come out the other side of it, and the person's actions or attitudes that upset me are still troubling me. And I think that the right thing to do is not only to forgive them in my heart, which is something that I always need to do, even if only for my own sake. The right thing for me to do is not only to forgive them in my heart, but also uh, I need to bring the issue up with somebody. Guess who I need to bring the issue up with? Them. The Bible is very clear, Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If you have an issue with somebody, if it is at all possible, and if it's appropriate, the first person that you talk with about your issue after God should be them. Now, that takes courage. And that takes tact. But uh, we need to get better at these kinds of courageous and tactful conversations. If we do these conversations well, it can actually strengthen our relational unity. It can make our relationship stronger, not weaker. That's what Jesus says here in Matthew 18, 15. Uh, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So, uh, talking with candor about an issue exclusively with the appropriate person has the effect of binding people together relationally, providing both parties engage with uh, a kind of humility and uh, maturity. Now, gossip achieves the opposite. 
Gossip achieves the opposite. Proverbs 16, 28, uh, a whisperer, or other translations say a gossip, a whisperer separates close friends. Do you see that? So uh, doing these courageous and tactful uh, conversations well uh, brings people together, whereas doing them badly and, and gossip is one way that we can uh, do it badly, uh, that has a separating effect. Now, of course, um, husbands and wives talk. That's fine. Uh, after so many years married, we need something to talk about. Uh, but however, even in that context, uh, I need to be careful uh, not to gossip. And Dawn, who you will all know uh, is a much is an objectively better person than I, uh, she's always very quick to call me out when I'm not being hum humble or loving uh, towards others in my response. Sometimes a part of the process of me deciding whether or not an issue is somebody else's or mine or whether or not I should address it with the person or not involves uh, getting the counsel of others. Uh, when you do that, make every effort uh, to not gossip. That means if, if at all possible, uh, don't identify uh, the person that you have a grievance with. Don't drop little breadcrumbs for them to figure it out. Uh, you want to try to talk to a person uh, who you know to be mature, uh, somebody who will challenge you to repent if and when uh, it's your attitude that's wrong, uh, or will challenge you to humbly work through your grievances in the right way uh, if indeed it is you who has been wronged. Uh, when you go to talk through an issue with somebody who has offended you, be calm. Calm. Uh, this, I think, is, is one of the greatest benefits of, of front-ending confrontation with a process of prayer, uh, reflection, and self-evaluation. Uh, it, it, it slows everything down. And, and that alone can take the heat out of the issue. Uh, I love the way the NIV uh, puts Proverbs 15, 18. It says, a hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, but a patient man calms a quarrel. So, so you want to aim in any confrontation, in any context, don't go in there at guns blazing. Fingers pointing. You want to pour water on the fire, not kerosene, right? You want to go in uh, speaking with, with tentativeness and tact rather than certainty and accusations. Not you do this. You always do this. This is what you're like, right? More like, I feel, I, I think. This is the way that this came across, right? Is that what you meant? Whatever. Remember, this is, this is uh, a big idea. The desired outcome in confrontation, in any context, is that the other person experiences your grace, not your wrath. That's the desired outcome. Build towards that outcome.
Okay. Know this, my beloved brothers. This is James, not me. He says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. I love that. Slow it down. Go for a walk around the block. Right? For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's what we want to produce. We want to produce the righteousness of God. Your anger won't do it. Your patience will. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has blessed you. For more information about our church, you can find us online at c3grow.org.